Hi everyone, Ashley Brown here. Welcome to Hawks Insiders. It is Sunday night as we record, 24 hours after the, uh, well, the disappointment in Darwin, the debacle in Darwin, I don't know what we're going to call it, but I'm joined just uh, on a slightly briefer review tonight by the wordsmith himself, Darren Levine. Good evening. Evening, Ash. Uh, we're, we're breaking the 24-hour rule here. Sammy Mitchell. <laughs> well, as we speak, the Hawks be putting this one to bed. I think they're still actually up in the top end. I mean, I haven't sort of checked in on their social media feeds today, but my understanding was they were doing various activities um, in Darwin today, and then some of them go to Catherine as well on the way home. So it's going to be slightly drop trip, but we'll talk about that. It reminds you of something that happened in Sam Mitchell's formative years, and we'll talk a bit about that before um, we finish up. So disappointing night for the Hawks. Daz, one of those games, I think um, it was 18-13, uh, 121 to 7-12-54. One of those games that the Hawthorne played, the old Hawthorne, where the sort of pretty clear after 10, 15 minutes, they probably weren't going to win. Yeah, I think that's about as uncompetitive as we've looked all year. I think the St Kilda game is probably, probably the closest we've got there. Um, r- reminded me a lot of those hub games where you could tell within the first 10 minutes that it wasn't going to go particularly well. I think we really struggled in the conditions posted in the WhatsApp that Tom Mitchell was sweating bullets before the game had even started. And I think... Um, you know, Gold Coast did, did train and play in hotter climates. So I don't want to make too many excuses, but the conditions really did not favour us and also travelling back from Tassie too. So uh, it was a tough game to watch and a tough game for the boys out there as well. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I made the point um, to a couple of people. The thing about Hawthorne is when you sell your home games, uh, as Hawthorne do, you can't really complain about having to play two games. And they haven't, to be fair, but it's very difficult to play two games in six days. And literally on other ends, you can't get more other other end of the country, other side of the country for, or from uh, from Launceston to Darwin. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just think you'd, you'd sell that home game to have that experience up there in Darwin and um, just for the, the Douglas Nichols round, it was it was just um, I think it was uh, really important for the club um, and for their Indigenous outreach as well, and for players like Chad and and Jarman to to be up there. So I think I think I think it'd be wonderful if we did that every year, and maybe we'd get used to the conditions that way. Well, Bob Forfeit is a very rarely playing Queensland, so I think a good percentage of the. Uh, the, the Queensland members of Hawthorne have been dudded over the years. They've still played a lot of games up there, be it Metricon or the Gabba. So I'm not sure they've been playing up there every year because uh, there were a few thousand loyal fans in Queensland and they wouldn't want to annoy by never playing up there again. We're going to depart from our usual uh, format for this one because I don't think anyone particularly wants to listen to about 18 players uh, get rankings of somewhere between three and th- two and four. Being pretty generous, Ash. Yeah, I know. So, because uh, there are very few of us, we're just going to sort of talk about a handful of players, uh, good and bad, on the night. Um, as I said, not many would get a pass mark. Um, but there's always a few that we want to talk about. So, Tom Mitchell had 29 disposals. So, he was sort, certainly Hawthorne's most prolific uh, disposal getter, 16 kicks, 13 handballs, uh, seven marks. 
six tackles, 72% disposal efficiency, um, eight possessions, 21 uncontested possessions, four score involvements. He was um, present at 22 centre bounces, uh, gained 409 metres. So the figures would suggest he was Hawthorne's best player on the night. Did you think he was? Did you think he actually was one of the better midfielders on the ground? It's a tough one with Tom Mitchell because, you know, he touched the ball 29 times, but I, I really don't think he had much of an impact on that game. Um, I think there was some footage going around about him not manning up. Um, I think he really struggled with the conditions. You know, six tackles is impressive for a team that was really not sticking any tackles and um, obviously don't want to pan a player for 29 possessions, but it, it, it just didn't feel that effective. There's a damning statistic about um, the tackles on the night that Hawthorne, um, I'm just calling it the tackle stats, so the night when Hawthorne was second to the ball and were beaten, uh, had fewer disposals um, and were generally well beaten, when it came to tackles, they also had fewer on the night. So, yeah, they're beaten 75 to 55. So when you're beaten by as much as they were and you lose a tackle count by 20, that suggests that a lot went wrong and they just weren't physical enough on the night. So, um, yeah, that's something that coaches will look at, the tackle stats. And when you're being, when you're comprehensively beaten and you don't tackle and you don't tackle enough, it's, that makes for a very bad night at the office. Uh, another player had a lot of stats, and he got praise on the on the telecast was Harry Morrison, who had uh, twenty who had twenty four disposals. Again, got a lot of the ball. Not sure how uh, how well he played. Oh, I think Harry kind of stood out a bit more to me in terms of the way he used the footy and. Um, the way he was continually trying to surge us forward. Um, again, I think he's been quite consistent this year when he's played and certainly wasn't the player that, you know, he, he certainly wasn't one of the players that really didn't stand up tonight. I think he's probably the best on ground for us, um, if I'm being honest. Um, I think he kicked a pretty nice goal, didn't he, as well? Yeah, I think he kicked the goal. He... Um... He, yeah, uh, no, he didn't get goal. Oh, no, no, he didn't get goal. He figured the week before. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I, th- I thought he was okay, but uh, again, not, not sure how I many were quality touches. I mean, he's doing enough to keep his spot on the side at the moment. He's one of those players in two or three years, but like to think he's in the side. We talk about him every week. He's usually the one we lead off with because he's player number one. Um, so I thought, I thought he did. I thought if, you yeah, know, if you had three or four players who make the best players, I would have put him in there, but. Again, on a night they had very few winners. Um, so James Sicily had 21 disposals. Um, Promise we're not going to go for every player, but we're just sort of ones that stand out at the top. Interesting night uh, for Sis. Did get caught out in the contest a couple of times. Again, the ball was getting there a bit too easily. I do feel sorry for Hawthorne back line under siege when the ball gets in there. Uh, Marbia Chol played well in the first half, was a dominant, a dominant player for Golga, uh, a bit quieter in the second. I thought Sicily uh, just went okay. Now, you, you you had an interesting observation about James Sicily when we spoke earlier today. Well, it, it, this is actually... I think this has been my dad's issue with Sicily all year. And, and, and to be honest, I haven't really noticed it as much. But uh, not being as... He's not, he's not the Luke Hodge 
marshalling the backline demonstrative leader back there. And maybe he's got a different way of leading. It's hard to tell when you're not at the ground and you're just sort of, you know, going where the camera goes. But I didn't really see him marshalling that backline. And I know that structurally we looked a bit odd, especially with, I think Sam Frost started in the ruck, maybe. Um, Trubisky started the ruck. Yeah. Yeah, well, Sam Frost was playing. Yeah, they the tried Frost and they tried Dan Howe. Yeah, it was it was structurally it just impacted the way that we set up defensively, and I think um, you know Sis was probably our best defender on the day, but he just didn't have a lot of a lot of help. Didn't look as damaging with the ball as he usually does. Um, but you know, I think again, just another really consistent player and performer this year just wasn't his best night at the office. Yeah, well, he's going to have to struggle next week. Sam Frost uh, likely won't play unless the Hawks decide to go to tribunal and manage to beat the charge, which uh, Frost has been uh, suspended for a game for uh, his contact with... um... Isaac Smith, by the way, also got reported. That's interesting. Um, Sam Frost been charged with forceful front-on contact against Brandon Ellis, uh, blah, blah, blah. He can accept a one-match suspension of an early plea based on the available evidence. The incident was assessed as careless conduct, medium impact, high, high contact. It was classified as a one-match sanction. As a first offence, the player can accept a one-match sanction with an early plea. Do the Hawks fight it? I, I, I don't recall the incident that, that well. Um, I think the MP1, they could probably... I don't know if Sam, if, if MP's going to... If that, if that news is broken out of... Yeah, he got a $1,000 sanction. So he, he, he'll be fine to buy next week. Well, that was a bit of a, a soft report, to be honest. But, um, yes, the Frost one, I think he probably probably needs a, a bit of a rest, to be honest. I think he's... He's, he's really been used in a lot of different positions the past couple of weeks. And, um, you know, maybe it is worth worth a fight, uh, but I don't... The Collingwood forward line doesn't really scare me that much. So um, I think we may be okay without him. It just depends. It doesn't seem like Sam Mitchell wants to bring Hardigan in. So uh, it's going to be another case of plugging some holes there down the back, um, especially if Impey's out as well with... with you know, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I think he was carrying an injury in that game. So, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a tricky one. We at Hawks Insiders get, have been criticised for being too harsh on Will Day. I thought Will Day actually played, uh, you know, if, again, not sure if he, if he was a winner, but I thought he battled really hard on the night, um, kept trying to present, kept trying to be an option, kept trying to take the game on when he could. He had 19 disposals, um, four marks, two tackles. I thought that was uh, one of his better games uh, for the year, Will Day, and a, a game that gave me a bit of confidence that uh, he's uh, on the way back. Yeah, I think I agree with that assessment. I think he was one of the standout players on the night. He just wasn't always going for him, but he kept kept trying. Uh, he got through unscathed, which was really important. I think it was a good effort because we didn't think this time last week he was going to play. We thought six day break and ankle injury that didn't look great against Brisbane, so he worked through that. You know, got him at the five-hour flight, whatever it is, worked his way through to play. I'm interested to know whether uh, the coaching staff put it on him a bit this week as well, saying, you know, this is, you've got to play. You know, you, 
you, you miss you, you miss you miss guards, but this is a game if you've got to work through and, and, and give us something. Maybe maybe he did, but I thought he was I thought he played a you know, I was impressed with the, the way he ran the game out and, and, and tried to lift the side. Yeah, went at 78%, 19 disposals. I think it was a fairly solid game for him. And he didn't look too proppy on that ankle, which was encouraging. I'm just happy that he got through another game unscathed and he's going to continue continue to get better. Um, he just got to, he's just got to have a continuous run of footy. Well, they've got two more weeks and they've got to buy. So, uh, yeah, great that he got through. Just going to run through some other players. Liam Shields had 16 disposals. He will now... He got through. He will now play on Sunday against Collingwood. He plays 250th at the same time as his great mate Luke Bruce. So that was sort of in the back of everyone's mind that would he get through, but that's now all set for a big day at the MCG. Mitch Lewis, well, the, uh, the streak that's now at about 22 games of, of kicking a goal looked in grave danger, but then he scored a nice goal. Having missed a, a set shot or two, he um, kicked a nice goal on the run. In the last quarter, I think it was to um, to keep the streak going, which uh, came to relief for everybody. Not a great night for forwards. Again, the structure of the forward line I think was disrupted by Kaziski having to play in the ruck a decent amount of time. They one thing about Hawthorne injuries come and go. Um, every team gets them, so um, not not alone here. But uh, Mitchell can't settle his back back line down exactly as he'd like it. There's always someone missing, and then again, not having to recognise ruckman this week meant. Kaziski was robbed from the forward line. So the, the two-pronged forward line that showed such promise against Brisbane didn't really get a chance to uh, didn't get a chance to fire against the Suns. Yeah, and I think I think this is a team that's still finding their system and their structures because it's not a case of the, the old Clarko, you know, lose a soldier, replace a soldier. It's very hard to do when you're sort of rebuilding and you, you don't have that squad depth. And players knowing the system inside out, like, like you, where you could just have a, a sort of bottom 22 player or fringe player come in and do their role. I think structurally we just look all over the place and and it makes sense just given the key the key players that we had out in the ruck. Gunston really straightens us up in the forward line. Um, I think structurally it's, it's it's really difficult and it's difficult for, for Lewis and Kaczynski um, to, to really gel when Kaziski's having to ruck. Lewis is just not getting that delivery. We're not getting our hands on the footy in the way that we want. Um, and, yeah, I think he, re- he really he worked hard, but I think he struggled to get to get into the right spot and tr- just struggled to, to get a footy. Still more 14 touches in a, in a quiet game um, and didn't uh, and, uh, kick the goal. As he always does, but uh, he's had a quiet, quieter couple of weeks. But again, I think Dylan Moore. You know, you can't fault his effort, and I think that goal that he kicked was really. I thought that may have sparked us into life. Actually, I think I tweeted about that being a sort of pulse affirming goal. It was. It was at a time in the game where we probably could have lost by hundred points. So he still has a knack for for being the barometer of the side and for sparking the team into action. And I think he gave it a crack. Um, so, you know, definitely we'll, we won't see two bad bad games in a row from Dylan Moore. CJ, 13 touches, foot just finding his way back in, back into four still. Yes, CJ, probably, probably one of his worst games for, for, for recent memory, to be honest. He was just very fumbly with the footy. Just maybe a case of trying too hard. 
on the night for CJ. Just um, just really couldn't get going, and we really needed his run at various times. But we also needed needed him to be clean, and I think he he really was quite fondly tonight or last night. John Newcomb, twelve touches, his lowest output for the season. I mean, his previous lowest was fifteen against Port in round two, and then he had. Uh, 17 against Carlton around three, but since then it's been 23, 31, 23, 21, 28, 22, 27. So that was his quiet game. We're waiting for he was, I mean, he's been so good over these last six, seven weeks. We're waiting for the quiet game to come come eventually. It did, but you know, seven tackles, most tackles for um, any anyone wearing the brown and gold in that game. So he was getting stuck in. It just one of those nights where just every time he had the ball, it was a lot of intensity, a lot of pressure. Um, he just he, he just looked a bit out of sorts. Um, and I think the conditions actually really got to him. Um, just a bit, bit, he's, he's a wet weather, Victorian cold specialist. I don't think he's going to thrive in the, in the Darwin heat. Uh- Denver Grunger Barris, 11 disposals. The glaring stat is seven free kicks against. Yeah, I think he had a pretty dirty night, if I'm being honest. Um, again, a developing player, I don't want to you know, get too stuck into him, but he, he really struggled out there. But he will take a lot from that experience and he'll learn a lot. Um, yeah, I, I think their forwards really got on top and, and were quite dominant, and I don't think there was really... You know, it was an absolute onslaught of the footy going into that into that forward line. Just so much midfield dominance that it was just it was hard for for any of the any of our um, backline members today. Oh yeah, last night. Would you make a Conor McDonald's game? Yeah, Conor McDonald. I think we made the comment when we were watching the game how clean he is, and um, he's just he's a really really classy mover. Classy with the ball in hand. Um, I really think he's actually becoming quite an important cog in the side when he's when he's in the forward line. He's he's got a got a beautiful pair of hands. He's got a, got great vision. Um, I think there was a terrific pass into the forward fifty where he just lowered his eyes and hit um, I think Kaczynski on the lead, um, who ended up missing the set shot. So yeah, I'm, I'm I'm happy he's back in the side, and I hope he's I hope he keeps his place. Um, so and Sam Butler a couple of nice things from Sam Butler uh, a great uh, kicked, a, kicked a nice goal uh, laid a tackle as well instinctive goal from Sam Butler and I think that's you know you can't sort of teach that that sort of X factor skill and I think Sam Butler Loved his love some of his pressure acts. I won't go notice on the on the stat sheet, but he's that's what he's in for. And I think another young player that that will be better off for a few more weeks in the side. Love to see him play out until the bye. He's got an X factor about him, Sam Butler, which is what they uh, talked about when they when they drafted him. He uh, some think he'll be the best of the so the top three players they brought in the draft, but uh, I like what he's brought to the side. I can't imagine that, and I can imagine the coach does as well. So, yeah, I, I don't think, I can't see him dropping out of the side anytime soon, especially now with the Brock not coming back for the season. I, I don't see reason why they wouldn't just play Sam Butler as a, as a small forward and let him learn the ropes at AFL level. I think there's more to gain from him playing at AFL level than a boxer, I think. 
uh, for the time being. Yeah, I um, think um, the only sort of threat to Butler, as you said, was Brockman. Um, but, you know, obviously his season's over. I think Seamus Mitchell's playing a bit more on the ball and through half back for Box Hill. Uh, Josh Morris has dropped back as well. So there's not really a lot of options when it comes to small forwards. So, yeah, Butler's got to keep his place. So the disappointments, Luke Bruce, nice goal early on the left foot, but only had 11 touches. Again, a bit of starvation down for the, the forwards, just ball wasn't getting down there cleanly and anywhere near often enough. Uh, so he struggled. Lockie Bramble, uh, 12, occasionally a bit of a deer in the headlights with Bramble. I think he's just going Bramble. I'm not sure he's uh, reached the heights of last year yet. Again, I think he'll probably keep playing uh, for the foreseeable future. But there's a couple of players at uh, Box Hill who are doing, uh, you know, Downey's got to come in at some stage. He's had a couple of good games. That certainly yeah, kicked two goals for Box Hill on the, when they beat the Suns. On Saturday afternoon, some stage Downey comes in. I mean, who, who spot does he take? Maybe he, they'd look at uh, bringing him in for Bramble at some stage. Uh, Jarman Impey, I thought, just struggled. He was frustrated, I think, but this point with him frosting reporter was that the frustration of feeling. I mean, Hawthorne would be the first team to be intimidated by Gold Coast. And he um, got a bit lippy out there, and the Hawthorne both gave a silly free kicks, and then the end two reports. And Impey, as we said, uh, got away with just a thousand dollar fine, but I, I don't think he paid particularly well. Yeah, I think I think there was a talk about an Achilles issue. And I, and I don't think he was after he came, he was off the ground for quite a while. And after he came on, he was just not his usual self. So it, it did seem like he was carrying an injury. And I think we had activated the sub at that point with Scrimshaw um, coming out. And I think he just played through pain to be honest, towards the end. And I'd be surprised if he was playing against Collingwood. That's not based on really anything except he just didn't didn't look the same player when he came out. Uh, Jack Scrimshaw uh, subbed out. Um, although Sam Mitchell seemed to say it might not be concussion. He had blurred vision, so they haven't done the concussion test yet. So we'll probably know uh, in a day or so whether he plays. But uh, again, Scrimshaw's one of those guys just gets banged up a bit. And also we talk about it with with one or two, with Day and one or two others who don't get the continuity, Scrimshaw sort of falls into that boat a little bit. You know, he's just come back from the shoulder, plays the game, and then and gets concussed. So disappointing for him against his old team. Uh, Dan Howard's battle, fifteen disposals. It's not. Uh, it was difficult for him. Poor guy to ruck. Good time sort of been forecast a bit before the game, but uh, yeah, Dan Howard. He's really just a fringe player at Hawthorne now, and. Uh, you know, I think when they do get, they can never get themselves close to full strength. I don't anticipate he'll be in the side. Yeah, well, I mean, six foot four playing in the ruck, probably for the first time I'd say in his, his career, probably including junior footy too, unless I'm mistaken, I'd love to, love to know if he's ever played ruck in his career. But I, I don't think that's the issue as much with how. And I think when he was actually playing in position, He's, he's just not winning those one-on-one contests. He's just too worried about the man. There were a few times where he just was easily beaten in the air. Uh, just had a had a bit of a shocking game, to be honest. Um, but got to give him credit for, for for being in the ruck and playing in the ruck. Could not have been easy against Wits, who's one of the best ruckmen in the competition. Um, gave up, I think. God, he's... He's... <laughs> he's uh, Two two point oh eight meters 
versus Dan Howe's 193 centimetres. So I think I probably would have had as much, um, <laughs> my big one 180 centimetre frame probably would have done as well yeah. as Dan Howe against Wits in that position. So as you can tell, a complete lack of enthusiasm for us to talk about this game. I think it's one that Hawthorne just puts in the uh, puts uh, puts behind them pretty quickly. It was the win that uh, of a team, you know, that some week they look like they you know, hey, you know, they beat Brisbane. Oh, you never know. They could uh, win a couple and challenge for the finals, and then you look at the game like Saturday night and think, well, they're still three years away, and that was very much a, a three years away game, don't you think? Absolutely, and I think. It's just going to be one of those roller coaster seasons. So you've just got to enjoy the wins when they come. And I'm not really too concerned about last night's game. I honestly thought the conditions played a major role. Umpiring decisions went against us. Just everything went against us last night. You had, you know, the, the, the two Gold Coast local lads there playing for the crowd. And it would just it just seemed like a foregone conclusion before we ever stepped foot out there. So um, I'm, I'm actually pretty bullish about our chances against Collingwood. I think we match up well against them. They've they've got a pretty small forward line as well, which I think will suit us. Um, they played their grand final today against Carlton and will probably be a bit, bit banged up there from, from that game. It was pretty high intensity. Um, so I, th- I think we've got a reasonable shot at, at beating Collingwood. I, I'm, I'm really not one to just want to give up on a, on on a win just for draft picks. I'm, I'd prefer to prefer prefer to win the footy because it's not fun doing these player play ratings when you lose a game like that. It's not fun watching a game like that. So um, I really hope we can. Which is why we're not doing ratings tonight. There'll be two wins, you think, for this game. Reese uh, from Sound of Things, he came for the training session okay, um, but the coach, I think, wants him to do another two or three heavy contact sessions this week and to have more confidence to take him in. But it looks like he'll be back for Collingwood, I don't think uh, Max Lynch will, but uh, that might dictate what Hawthorne does at, um, might, uh, dictate what Hawthorne does at, um, at mid-season draft. I think they'll take uh, James Blank as a key defender. I don't think they'll take her up enough for all that, and they'll hope that Lynch and Reeves can get him through the rest of the year. McAvoy, in the neck brace, still no great confidence he's going to come back anytime soon, but we'll wait and see. And... Um, but Reeves and Amira were two important ends, you would think, for the Collingwood game on Sunday at this stage. And whether they bring it, whether down, they think someone like Downey's done enough, uh, we'll wait and see. Yeah, I think even Jack Saunders has been playing really well at Box Hill and offers so much aggression and pace um, playing in the playing high half forward and on the wing. So yeah, there's a, there's a few interesting selection decisions to make. Box Hill, I thought, were really good in that game against a pretty strong. Gold Coast VFL side. So it's really the Ned Reeves call, um, whether whether they pull the trigger and, and put him in against the Pies because it's really tricky to win these games when you've got no recognised Ruckman playing. And, you know, Cozzy and um, Connor Nash and we've tried so many, Dan Howe obviously tried so many players there, but we really need a recognised Ruckman to start being competitive in these games and winning the ball in the middle. So... Just hoping he comes back against the Pies this week and we don't do any anything silly in the mid-season draft and pick a short-term off option. We need to look long-term. Yeah, and Hardigan, uh, they might bring Hardigan back as well for, for this one. If uh, with, with Frost going out, like any, he's had a small climb with forward line. They may decide they don't need that. All right, that's, that's a very short and sharp one. Not 
nothing to get particularly excited about. Um, mid-season draft coming up Wednesday night. We expect to welcome James Blank to Hawthorne from Box Hill. Maybe another pick, but he, he seems to be the one at this stage. Stay tuned to us for coverage of that. We'll preview it and we'll uh, give it a good review as well. Look for something on Wednesday night post the draft. I'll try and get Prinzy fired up. He hasn't done enough for us lately, Dad, so I'd like to get Prinzy to fire up and give us a, 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 a take charge of that coverage during the week. And we'll be back with our regular spaces on Thursday. I'll be last one on Thursday night before our Thursday night footy kicks in. So we'll probably move back to Tuesdays, I think, for the duration of Thursday night footy. Uh, anything else? That we, oh, the last thing I want to say is Hawthorne being in Catherine uh, and Darwin for the next couple of days. A quick story. Uh, in 2005, um, Hawthorne played for, had a really good win over Fremantle. It was Clarko's first year as coach. And uh, they went back to Kent Bateman's hometown uh, for a memorial service the following day. And it was a six-day turnaround before they played Collingwood, uh, ironically, at the MCG the following Sunday, uh, the following Saturday. So by staying WA the extra day, pretty much wiping out their entire Monday to go and do something for Chance Bateman. It, for a young team as Hawthorne were, it more or less wiped out their preparation. They couldn't really prepare properly for the Collingwood game, which had been built up because Hawthorne had won two in a row. There was quite a bit of excitement heading into this game, but Collingwood were far too good for Hawthorne on that day. I'm wondering whether Sam Mitchell is sacrificing a bit of prep for Collingwood by keeping the team up north for a couple of days post this game because of the cultural team bonding benefits that the team might have will outweigh the perfect prep heading into Collingwood. It's an eight-day break. So that if it's about Tuesday, they'll sort of have five days to get themselves ready for Collingwood. But that might be something to think about. Yeah, and I'm, I've done that commute this year. It's um, you know, a good four and a half hours. So it's not an easy flight home and there's not a lot of options for the flights either. So... You know, it could be a case of them taking that late night flight, which really messes you up for, for another day. So, you know, it's a bit to weigh up in terms of another day of prep or the team bonding and, and, and important cultural outreach that the club is doing and that connection to Indigenous culture and to, and to country. And I think, you know, I think Sam's probably, probably favouring that and we'll just have to, to see against Collingwood whether it's, it was the right option. They've got a good record against Collingwood and uh, the milestone game can't be uh, discounted. It's going to be a really big week and a, a big, big build-up into absolute champions. Two of the three remaining triple premiership players at the club, Jack Gunson being the other. So they want, excuse me, they want to play well and they want it to be a big day, but uh, we'll wait and see how they go in the lead-up to that. So that's it, short and sharp this week. Uh, we'll talk to you on the spaces on Thursday night. Uh, our great friend Andrew Weiss, major family event this weekend. It was his son's bar mitzvah. I think we can mention Ethan. He's been on the podcast before. A major milestone for him and uh, we say well done and congratulations to the Weiss family. Uh, he did a fantastic job. We were first out witnesses to it and uh, he, he did very well. So I'd like to get him on the podcast too. Now he's a man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now he's a man, as they say. We'll he's get... our most popular and requested guest. Uh, yeah, so I'd we'll like we'll to get him back on and uh, he'll, uh, he'll no doubt do a sterling job. So thanks everyone for your forbearance. I'm sure you know what had one of your player by player account of this debacle, the debacle in Darwin. So we're not going to give it to you. Uh, but look out for our comprehensive review. We'll be up on Hawks Insiders tomorrow and um, with some observations from me. And 
normal transmission will resume later in the week and hopefully with a proper player review after beating Collingwood next Sunday. Thanks, everyone. Any last words, Dad? Any housekeeping? No, just thanks for the four of you listening into the, the play. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Four of you hanging around to the end, yes. He must have had a pretty boring commute to, to tune in, but <laughs> hopefully next week will be better. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you later in the week on Hawks Insider.